number 325 will be the invitation song after our study this morning. It is certainly a blessing once again to be here. It's good to see everyone here. We do have several who are still out battling the, the flu and colds and other things. Um, we've had it through our family. I think everybody here has had some form of it. So uh, it's good to see everybody able to be here who is and uh, miss those who aren't. And when you're not here, we miss you. I uh, got a text or an email from Amy and Mike this morning, or actually it was just last night, but uh, they are up in northeast Arkansas with uh, Bailey and Braden, so uh, they're going to be up there, in fact, all week this week, so they wanted us to know where they are. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at ourselves and asking the question, how much are we worth? Um, perhaps not the most commonly thought thing for a Christian. You know, think about how much she's worth because we are taught not to think that way, right? We're, in fact, well, except for the fact we're to humble ourselves and think lowly of ourselves, and that is absolutely true. But it is important for us to realize our value and our worth to the Lord and to his people. And we need to understand that and recognize it and do what we can to fulfill our duties and responsibilities within the body of Christ and our service to the Lord so that we can be pleasing to him and useful, as we've been talking about in our Bible studies on Sunday morning, being useful to the ministry, to his service. So we're going to be in Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9 this morning. We're going to read that text, and that's going to be the basis for our study First of all, some things to think about. Most of the time when people think about how much they are worth, they think about their net worth, you know, their portfolio. They think about how much money they have or how much stuff they have. We begin to accumulate, you know, all the numbers and bank accounts and our holdings. We think about how much we are currently worth from the perspective of how much money are people willing to pay me for my services, <laughs> How much am I worth to my boss, to the company that I work for? How much am I worth? I think there are some folks that are, <laughs> that are way overpriced. <laughs> you know? I, I know there are. Um, there's been some free agents dealings in the NFL this past week. And as much as I like football, as much as I like athletics as a whole, sports, I think there are some good qualities. Good lessons that can come from athletics, you know. There are certainly good principles and foundational principles for life that can be established for young people while they are engaging in athletics. Baseball, football, basketball, soccer, whatever it may be. But one bad element of that is that people become way overpriced in their own minds, you know. Um, I'm not against people getting paid. But, and I know that the market will dictate that. But some people, that, I mean, they really do think highly of themselves, don't they? Um, I know this, this past week I was listening to the radio. I don't keep up with NBA basketball, but I turned the radio on and they were talking about the uh, Los Angeles Lakers this year. And, of course, they spent all that money to get LeBron James. And they're not even going to the playoffs this year. I feel so sorry for them. But uh, anyway, that, that's just 
one of the things we think about. How much are we worth? Well, we're not talking about how much money we're worth, okay? Let me put it another way. Look at it from this perspective. How much money, or how much am I worth in regard to all of the other billions of people that live? You know, historically, there are approximately, and I don't know who came up with this number, I don't know how they came up with this number, but it is suggested there are approximately 108 billion people who have lived on the earth. I don't know where that came from, but that's a big number, all right? Perhaps it's more, perhaps it's less. But I do know this, currently there are 7.7 billion people as of March 2019. And by 2023, we should reach 8 billion, Lord willing. That's a lot of people. You are just one. Just one. Out of 7.7 billion people currently alive, and 108 billion people who have lived. You're one. Look at it from this way. From God's way. Beginning in Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Oh, I want to notice a couple of things from this text. First of all, by comparison, humanity as a whole, and you as an individual, when compared to God, there is none. Right? There is no comparison. God's power, certainly. Man thinks he's so smart sometimes. And some of the things that we come up with, technology is an amazing thing. We have really, really advanced uh, technologically in the last 30, 40 years. But you know, even with the, with the best improvements of technology, the best advancements in, in things such as travel or, or, or medical science, you know what? There was still a plane that crashed this past week. As smart as we think we are, as brilliant as we think we are, and the things that we can make doesn't hold a candle to the power of God. Doesn't hold a candle, not even close. When compared to the glory of God, man thinks he's so smart. He doesn't know anything yet as he ought to know. We are still dumb. There are so many things we will never understand. People who think they are so smart. People who think they've got it all figured out. They think that the world and the universe all just accidentally happened. It just, whoops, there it is. It don't work like that. That's an impossibility. Order does not come from chaos and disorder. 
We know that. But man thinks he's so smart. I have several um, atheists chiming in uh, regarding our radio broadcast. I get text messages, I get emails, I get, I get messages on Facebook and YouTube and ridiculing, you know, think that, saying that I'm the dumb one because I believe in a God who is powerful enough to create the world and universe and, and life. And I simply respond usually by one simple question. How did life start? Where did life come from? You got it all figured out? You explain that to me. Where did life come from? Nobody can answer that question. Even the smart, even those who think that they are really the smartest, like Richard Dawkins, etc., they'll all admit to you, hey, I don't know where life came from. I, we, it could not have happened here. Now, they do know that by now. They figured it out. Life could not have accidentally started on this planet. So it had to have come from, from somewhere else. Maybe it got here on a meteor. A life, a bacteria or something came from outer space somewhere. Or maybe there was an intelligent designer on another planet who arrived at his intelligence through some Darwinian means over a billions and billions times period that uh, he got to that stage where he could develop life and plant it on this earth. But it couldn't have been God. No. How smart they are, right? But when compared to God and His wisdom and His glory and His power, there is none. When we look at this world as the psalmist does in Psalm 8, he looks at the heavens which declare the glory of God, which shows His handiwork, which demonstrates His wisdom, and men close their eyes to that to, to that clear manifestation of his power and his wisdom, like in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. God had demonstrated to him his power, but they closed their eyes to it. We need to, we need to keep in mind, my friend, who God is, first and foremost. When we start thinking about our value, our worth, first, the first thing we need to realize is God is the creator of everything. In comparison to him, we are nothing. We don't deserve anything. Now, how much are you worth? If you were to take up all the elements that make up your fleshly body, you would come up with about $3.50 worth of stuff. Now, you take all the elements, you take your skin, if it was valued like a piece of cowhide, it's about $0.25 cents a square foot, your skin, now my skin's a lot more valuable to me than that, okay? It is. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? And uh, yesterday Brent, Brent called me and I was going out to the car and I had my coffee mug in my hand and, and I bent over and when I did, I poured coffee all over my wrist and it's all blistered up now. Boy, it hurt really bad. My skin is much more valuable to me than yours is, than it is to you, I assure you. But in the overall picture of things, as far as what, it, you know, your physical body is not worth much on the market. As far as just the elements themselves. About $4.50. But now, of course, if you were to consider, you know, working organs, 
You know, if on the black market, you could sell your eyes for $1,525 a piece. You could sell your skull <laughs> with teeth for $1,200. I don't know what you're going to do without them. Or your coronary artery for $1,525. You know, yes, transplants do happen. It's not going to benefit you much if you do without your heart. You will die, but um, I'm sure your heart is probably much more valuable to you than it would be to somebody else, but their heart, of course, they would see it differently, wouldn't they? But, okay, the point, all of your transplantable organs, your blood transfusions, bone marrow, all of the things that you might add up as far as what you're worth, you'd be about worth $45 million, give or take, on the black market for working organs now. But uh, that's a lot of money. But that's not what we're talking about. How much are you worth? The beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The evolutionists, they think, oh, we're just an amazing accident. Really not worth much. Man is not really worth anything except what we can benefit for ourselves from a selfish perspective. The materialist is just a temporary piece of living matter. Uh, an ecologist, of course... <laughs> Man is the bad um, element in the world. We are a threat to the environment. We hear that a lot these days. We're just destroying everything. In fact, just to demonstrate this, you know, whether it be the spotted owl or some other endangered species, people are much more concerned about them than they are the unborn babies. Why? Industrialist, a cog in the machine. The government, we're a taxpayer. <laughs> the politician, you're a voter. For the businessman, you are a customer. And the customer's always right. The fundraiser, you're a contributor. And so different people have different ideas about your worth. Depends on which perspective they're coming from. But there is a real sense in which we are all valuable and that we are worth a lot to those that are around us, not from a merely uh, temporal perspective as far as your vote or your tax money or et cetera, et cetera. But I'm talking about from a moral perspective, from a good beneficial perspective. We're all valuable to our country. We're all valuable to our society in which we live. We are valuable to the organization and business that we work for, that we, that we do trade with, to, for, to our family and to our friends and to the local church. We are a vital, needed, valuable part of the whole. We're important. Do we think of ourselves that way? Now, not from a pride perspective but from an understanding of the need that others have for us. And again, we talked about this a little bit in our Bible class this morning. You know, when you think about our value and our worth to our country and society and organizations and friends and family and local church, you know, many people measure this by our financial contributions. Now, certainly financial contributions are important, they're necessary, but that's the way a lot of people, that's the first thing that they think about. But what about from our labor and time and energy that, that is provided that 
we put into these relationships. That's what they are, relationships. Our skill and our abilities that we put into these relationships that help them to function, to be beneficial for the whole, uh, for our leadership qualities, and for our moral influence. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, ye are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What does he mean by that? He means that you are important to the world. You are important to those that are around you. You have a work to do in relationship to those around you. You are the salt and the light of the world. The value of our contributions to those around us not so much financial, but mostly and most importantly from our moral influence and our following Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1, 23 through 26, For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul recognized his need. Now, personally, he'd rather be with Christ, which is far better. He'd rather leave this world and go on to his spiritual reward. And for the faithful child of God, certainly we all, Think like that from time to time. How much better it would be for us personally. But now we've got responsibilities here. And that's how Paul is looking at it. His relationship with the Philippian brethren. They need him. And so do we look at ourselves and our worth from that perspective? Our service to God and our service to our brethren. And seek to be a beneficial part of one another. What are you worth? You know, as a husband, as a wife, how much are you worth? How valuable are you to your spouse? Let's start there and let's think about this for just a second. Now, that's going to be determined by your Christ-likeness, by your holiness, by your faith or faithfulness. And your humility and your loyalty, your knowledge of God and His will for you and serving in this capacity and your love and your service and your valuing your spouse. Um, okay, hold on. How valuable are you as a husband or a wife to your spouse? Are you helping them get to heaven? Well, that all depends on whether or not you're growing and becoming more and more like Christ. You want to increase your value to your spouse? You become like Christ. You become more and more holy. We're set apart for God's service. And one of the aspects or qualities that God expects of us is to become holy, to be holy. As He is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. We are to be holy. Now, you cannot lead people where you yourself will not go. If you want to be a positive influence in your family... As a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, then you have to become like Christ. How do we encourage 
and increase, in fact, in our, our spouse or our family member, the qualities that we see here on the right side of the screen, how do we increase these in the lives of others? We have to first have them and possess them ourselves. Our worth or our value is determined by our Christ-likeness. Do we think about it from that perspective? As a wife or a husband, our humility and our loyalty will directly affect our, our marriage. Whereas the opposite, our pride and our selfishness will harm the marriage, destroy the marriage. Our love, our value of the other person and our desire to serve and to do good for that other person is going to directly affect that relationship, our marriage. Are we truly valuable to our marriage? As a father or mother, our children are very, very valuable. Do we think about our actions, our interactions, our, our behavior, our words, our actions, and how they affect our children? Our attendance to Bible study and worship service, or lack of it, our behavior. Are we hypocritical? Let me tell you something, my friend. Listen, your children know whether you're hypocritical or not. They know it. They know it. We have a duty and responsibility to be godly parents, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You can't fake it. Your value or your worth is tied to your Christ-likeness. As a church member, or in our communities, are we truly following Jesus? That's going to determine how valuable we are truly to the society. Now look, and to the, to the, to the church. Just because, I mean, let me just make this clarification though. Listen, whether it's... Uh, a husband or wife, a father or mother, a member of the body of Christ or, or in the community, let's just say that you look at this and you're thinking, you know what, I'd, my wife or my, my children would be better off without me because I'm just not valuable. Listen, please don't take that attitude. Don't think like that. Because your value is true. As far as the effect of your value is concerned, you must be following Christ, and let's say that you're not, and now you're getting down on yourself. Listen, you can change, and you can be that valuable person to your spouse or to your children or to the brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, to your community. You can be. That's up to you. You choose. You choose. And let us do those things that are necessary so that we can be as valuable in these relationships as God wants us to be. Now, I want to say this. Regardless of where you are in your life as far as your relationship with God, whether you are a lost, rebellious, disinterested, 
ungodly, wicked, defiled sinner. Or you are the most faithful child of God here. I want to say to you that you are all we are all equally valuable to God. What is man? What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? What is man? Why does God take an interest in us? Again, let me tell you, God values you. Now, just because he values you to the greatest degree does not mean that you are saved. He, you very much are lost if you are rebellious to his will, if you do not trust and follow him, but you're still valuable to him. Going back to Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with, honor, with glory and honor. The Hebrew passage that was read in the scripture reading applies this text to Jesus himself. And Jesus being pictured as the one whom God values and the one that God has raised and exalted to the position of authority and power over all things. I believe that here we have a double uh, prophecy, if you will, or a statement that is used to apply to mankind in general and also prophetic in referencing Jesus Christ and his future authority. But let me say this and tie these things and concepts together. Jesus Christ came and became lower than the angels for a reason. And that reason is you. He died for you. You know, we are all made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We all have a living soul, a distinct element of ourselves, of our being, apart from our physical makeup. We have a spirit. We are higher than the animals. As we talked about uh, last Sunday evening, I think, in Ecclesiastes, what happens to the spirit of the animals, the breath that goes through the earth, the dust? It ceases to exist. What about the spirit of man? It returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 7. We have a spirit. The body is a tent in which we, our spirit, our soul, abides. And our spirit is really our true self. But God created us that way and values us. We are valuable in His sight. Our spirits will continue to live, to exist, either in eternity with Him, or eternity separated from Him in hell. We're going to continue to exist in one of those two places. All of us, every single person here this morning, every single person that is currently of the 7.7 .7 billion people alive on the earth today, every single person who has ever lived, the 108 billion approximately people who have lived, will all come and stand before the Lord God on the day of judgment. And God cares about where you go. God cares about where you will be for eternity. 
It is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. What is man worth to you? Now here's the problem. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you have Eve taking that forbidden fruit, eating of it, giving it to her husband. He ate of it. Sin enters the world. Sin defiles man. Man is separated from God. And as we, as according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we have all sinned because we've all sinned against God ourselves. Death spreads to all men because all have sinned. Which also is mentioned in Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And the wages of sin is death for every one of us. And not just physical death. The wages of sin is separation from God. And that's the real death. That's true death. To be separated from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3. God's hand is not short that he cannot save, nor is there heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God that he will not hear. Now, sin is our problem. And sin has separated all men from God. But God still cares. God still values us. God wants to save us. But yet, God is just and holy. God is without defilement. God cannot fellowship sin. There has to be a way in God's mind and from God's perspective to deal with that sin. God values us. Matthew 6.26 says God, is, God values us more than sparrows. Okay, More than sheep. Matthew 12.10-13. You know, if your neighbor's sheep gets stuck in the ditch, you're going to help that thing out. And, and God values that and recognizes that. Worth more than an ox or a donkey. God has shown us, my friend, how much we're worth to Him. God has demonstrated how much He values us. In John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. Now that's not talking about uh, the mountains and the seas, the rocks and the trees, the birds and the bees. That's talking about us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's you. And that's me. In Romans 5 and verses 8 and 9, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, separated from Him, condemned in His sight, God still loved us. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. God manifested His love for us. In Ephesians 2 and verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You don't deserve it because you're a sinner. You have rebelled against God. You've turned your back on Him. You don't deserve the salvation that He wants to give to you through Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it. What you do deserve is eternal condemnation. But God loves you. God loves everybody. God loves the whole world. 
In 1 John 4 and verse 9, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Might. It's up to us. That we might live through Him. And this is, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This word propitiation, atonement. We find it again in 1 John chapter 2, and verses 1 and 2. John says, I write these things to you so that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is man worth to God? We are worth enough to God that He would send His only begotten Son. Jesus left the glories of heaven for us in Philippians 2, in verses 5 through 8. Though He were a son, yet He learned obedience. Hebrews chapter, two, or Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He became a man and obeyed His Father and willingly went to the cross and willingly died for us. What are you worth to God? You are worth His only begotten Son. The word begotten, by the way, means one of a kind. Unique. Jesus is special. And Jesus is special to the Father. But yet the Father Gave His Son for you and for me. What is man worth to God? In 1 Peter 1 and verse 17, Peter writes, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, okay, so God is impartial, God is just, sin has its reward, death. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Okay, now he's talking here to redeem people. This, you, you should be getting condemnation, but notice in verse 18 it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were redeemed from that condemnation. Not with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. How much does God value you? How much do you value yourself? Do you value yourself enough to submit to God, to yield to His will? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Paul there says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. So there are some vessels that are worth less. Okay? But it's not because they do not have intrinsic value within themselves. It's that they forsake their value. They despise their real value. And they defile themselves. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, 
He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Your value is going back to what we said earlier in all of your relationships. Your value is tied to your Christ likeness, to your holiness, to your faith and your faithfulness. Your value is tied to your service and your submission to the Lord. And that, my friend, is your choice. Your worth or your value, from a practical perspective, is up to you. Now, God so loved you that He gave His Son to redeem you so that you could fulfill your purpose. Do you value your real self? Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you value your real self? What would you be willing to trade for the well-being, the eternal well-being, of your real self? What would you be willing to exchange that this world has to offer? You know, even if you were to get all that this world had to offer, if you had all the money of Bill Gates, and you could buy anything and everything that you wanted, and live comfortably in this world for the rest of your life, and you trade your soul. I promise you this, for all eternity, never-ending existence, in hell, you will be regretting it. More than everything in this world, that's how valuable your soul is to you, who it ought to be. And if you lose it, You've lost it all. What will you give in exchange for your soul? Why would anybody exchange a temporary enjoyment, pleasure, possession, privilege, or position of power and authority? Who would exchange a temporary thing for their eternal well-being? What wise person would do that? You know, we buy life insurance to, to help take care of the family in case something happens to us. We, if we die, then you know, our family will be taken care of. Life insurance is, is important from that perspective. We think about the material well-being of those that we may leave behind. What about the spiritual well-being? Of those who live, who we leave behind, and also, of course, for ourselves. You know, how much are you worth? You know, God did send His Son Jesus to die for you, that you can have everlasting life. What He requires of you is that you believe in His Son. Do you believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus said in John eight twenty four, "Except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins." 
we are to confess. We must confess Him before men. If we do not confess Him before men, Jesus will not confess us before our Father, before His Father. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, we must confess that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead. We must repent, that is, turn away from our sins and turn to the Lord to govern our lives, to be our guide, our teacher, and our Lord. To be baptized, to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And to live for Jesus who died for us. That's what the Lord asked of us. He valued us enough to die for us. Do we value ourselves enough to live for Him? You know what? It is only when we do actually live for Jesus that we that we find our true worth, our true value. If you exchange your soul for anything in this world, that will be the thing that you will hate the most for all eternity. Whereas, of course, on the flip side, if you give yourself in service to Christ, to love Him, to follow Him, you'll have all eternity to love Him and to be with Him. My friend, that is your choice. Your practical value is determined by you. The things that you value most are determined by you. What will it be? Where will you be for eternity? It's your question that you have to answer. Maybe you're, you're here this morning, you need to be baptized into Christ. Let us help you. If you need to, to turn away from sin in your life, you need strength, you need help, you need prayers, whatever it may be. Let us help you to find your real worth and to be useful for the Master. If we can help you in any way, won't you come? While together we stand while we say. I.